You're listening to Through Help and Back. Through Help and Back is a podcast focused on mental health, addiction, treatment, recovery, and all things related to personal improvement and wellness. Don't worry, we're not here to talk about problems without solutions, and we're definitely not here to talk about struggles without success. So come with your problems, leave with our solutions. Welcome. What's, a, what's it like being out on this side of the wall, man? You've been in the studio, been on uh, the other side, <laughs> laying down some magic, man. What's it like to be out on this? Side? Hey, man, this is, this is it's dope. It's yeah. different. Um, I'm embracing it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely something that uh, I've been waiting for. It's funny. I, don't, I haven't had this experience yet. You told me, like, hey, I, I check out the show. I've seen it. So before we get into your stuff, man, just tell me about your take on the show so far. What do you, what do you like when you see this? Or what got your attention about, you know, the podcast in general? Well, mental health is something that probably has gone underlooked or overlooked, um, probably for, like, the history of time. Um, and more recently than now, probably over the last five to ten years, um, the world has probably done a better or try to do a better job of um, caring more and being concerned about mental health. So um, you having a, a podcast running that mental health show and having content, interviewing other other people in the world and sharing their life stories and the things that they've gone through with their life, the ups and the downs and the trials and tribulations, it's, it's a true testimony because I can see myself in them. I mean, we're definitely both young at heart guys, but I'm, I'm a little older than you. So, you know, when I grew up, dude, there was like no mental health talk. It was like, it wasn't even a thing. I mean, I was back in the like, you know, suck it up, be a man, rub some dirt in it. Like guys don't have feelings kind of stuff. So for you coming up, I mean, was mental health and the need for mental health or your awareness of your mental health, was that on your radar as a kid or is that something that's been more recent? It wasn't. It wasn't even in school. Even in school, they weren't even implementing it in the curriculum. Um, I think they were moving towards it, um, but I think mental health was just something that I individually um, just, like, suck out for myself. Kind of had a sense of how you fit and how you felt. Yeah, because it was like, honestly, after playing baseball, basketball, and football my whole life, I had a hard time with my identity and figuring out who, who it is that I am after I moved on and dropped out of college. Um, Cause I had been used to the love and the adoration of the fans, the family, my friends, and um, seeing my name in the newspapers and all, all different types of things like that. And then moving on, moving on from that and just being a regular dude working nine to five, ain't nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? Shout out to all the guys out there who are working nine to fives, man. You guys are, the consistency to be able to wake up in the morning and grind for 15, 20 years is something that do, that goes overlooked. But going back to me struggling with my identity, I think a lot of athletes do because we we're so used to we're so used to that. Um, just being being that guy, being the one everybody looks to, the attention, the the love and the hate, everything that comes with it. But when that stopped for me, I was like struggling with okay sh am i a am I a construction worker am I a carpenter am I gonna be a what do I want to do what am I supposed to do um so somehow I ended up here making music yeah 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 <laughs> you know yeah. and we're gonna talk about your music man for real so I mean I say for real because that's you know that's part of your name nephew for real man we, so you got some stuff coming we're definitely gonna dig into that but I want to talk about who you were before because you talked about that athlete. So, I mean, growing up, where did you grow up and how did you get – was athletics always part of it? Is that just who you were from the start? Yeah, so growing up, I'm from Amherst, New Hampshire, yep. uh, born and raised there. 
Um, athletes was always something. Athletics was always something that's been a part of my family. I'm the second out of my, out of the eight children in my family. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm the second youngest. You had a whole team in the house. We had a whole team. <laughs> we had a whole team with a bench. <laughs> but yeah, it was always, it was always, it was always in in all of us. I think probably out of all of the siblings, I had I was gifted with the most ability. Maybe because I'm shorter than everybody. <laughs> Probably. You don't hear that one. You usually get the opposite, right? Like some yeah. big, you know, but you felt like that was an advantage. I mean, you were like more of a speed guy and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, the way the way the way I saw it was if if I was shorter, I wish I was shorter because it would make everything I did that much crazier. I mean, we've seen dudes like that, right? Like the the Barry Sanders of the world. Muggsy Bowles. Yeah, you know, Muggsy Steph even. I mean, yeah. he's not a huge guy, you know what I mean? Right, right. And uh they they're just out there, man, creating havoc. Yeah, even in football, man, you can't you can't touch what you can't catch. Tyreek. So I mean, I'm, I imagine brothers and sisters, y'all are playing just all the time, just sports, athletics, and you get into school and making teams and that kind of stuff. So yeah, me, it was me. Usually, it was me and my younger brother. We were, um, we were playing sports together most most of the times. My older brothers, and my older siblings, they were they were gone out the house doing their thing, because um, we all have at least four years in between us, um, but. All the all the all my older brothers are all in their thirties, like mid late thirties now. Yeah, they're old. Eight kids of four years between. That's some serious planning, dude. Like it's decades of work. Hey. <laughs> Shout out to them, man. <laughs> so tell me about Amherst itself. I mean, was sports just like that? The, that was the way. Like, I mean, do you consider that a big town, small town? Like, I know New Hampshire, but I've never really spent much time there. Amherst is a small town. Small town. Um, I didn't play much sports in Amherst because of how small it was. Uh, so I was in Nashua. I was in Nashua, New Hampshire for uh, basically like my whole life. Um, so I played uh, Nashua Rec League. I played all the way up until like Biddy, Bantam. Um, and then I went to I went to high school in Nashua as well. I went to Bishop Gurren. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So real comp. I mean, you're playing like... That's a big city around here. Yeah, yeah. So this may seem like a silly question because we talked about before, like we kind of have that in common. I've got an athletic background. Yours is more recent for sure. But, I mean, for those who haven't had that experience, because as we talk about identity and how that felt good and things like that, like what is it like day in, day out, growing up as like the athlete? Like did it change how people saw you? Did people treat you differently because of it? Like what were you feeling you know, we the comment is like the big man on campus, right? Or the guy in the papers or, you know, the, the jock or the stud athlete. But, like, I think we kind of dismiss that and we just sort of, like, assume that everybody knows what that is. But, like, what's it like to be that guy? I mean, is it a lot of fun? Is it a lot of work? Like, what's so seductive and so interesting about being the athlete that it was hard to transition out of, you know? Well, with great talent comes great responsibility. So Spider-Man taught me that. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Peter Parker. <laughs> all of them. Hey, all of them, right? Oh, there's like 12 of them now, dude. Yeah, I just saw that movie. It was a great movie. Yeah, yeah. It was actually one like of that. the best movies, one of the best Spider-Man movies I've seen, honestly, recently. But you felt that responsibility. So it wasn't all fun and games. It wasn't just going to the parties and getting the girls. It was like... Going into my ninth grade, going into my ninth grade, my freshman year, my English teacher, uh, Miss Prunier, she always brought in newspaper articles every morning in home period. She'd always be like, yo, CJ, CJ, I seen you in the newspaper again. Did you see the article? Did you see the article? I'm like, no, nah, I didn't see it. Let me yeah, see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing damn well, I'd, I'd yeah, already done copies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. But, the, but kids are seeing that, right? They're like, they're reacting to you like, oh, man, that's, he's the man. The teachers are treating him like a peer, not like a kid. 
getting some love that way. And so, but there was never really any jealousy between my 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 classmates and I because I I think I did a an exceptional job um, keeping myself like humble. Humility is really important. Why? Why? Why did you think like that as a as a kid? Because most people could just like suck it up and be like, I must be the man. You know, where did that come like, from? I don't like. I'm a team player. I don't like feeling like I'm better than the next man, or the next man is any lesser than I am. Um, and especially once I got to college and I realized in baseball, everybody's good. I mean, everybody is the best kid from the city. Everybody is an all-state player from there, wherever they're from. So trying to make things work. And the best thing, the way, the way to make things work is just to be a team player and not to belittle anybody to make an example out of them in order for me to feel better about myself. I connect with them next. I can remember, and, you know, and baseball's changed now, man. Everybody's throwing 90 now. And Even like the nerdy kids who got the glasses sit at the table by themselves at lunchtime, <clears throat> I'll go over to them and I'll go sit down and I'll chop it up with them. Shout out to Shree. Hopefully you're still making that, that, uh, that Halo game. I didn't forget. <laughs> hey, those, those guys with the glasses end up rich, dude. Like they create things, right? Like they're in charge now. It's like, um, that's interesting, man, because it's not typical. Like, I hope you understand that that's not typical because I'm not saying that I was a jerk as a, as an athlete, but I knew a lot of people that definitely were. And that's a stereotype. I knew a lot, a lot of, a lot of assholes, but I I knew I didn't want to be one of those. First of all, that's not even how I was raised. My mama didn't raise me like that. My dad didn't raise me like that. Family values, man. That's that foundation. That makes a big difference. Yeah, for sure. And I think sometimes parents get that vicarious love, right? Like their kid's the best one. So they get they get addicted to it a little bit too. You know what I mean? And the bigger you get, the more shine they get. So it's like, all right, just let them go. But you got a foundation because you talk about how like all the best athletes move up, man. It's it's so hard to make it every time you go up a level. You know, like I said, when I was playing in high school, every now and then we'd face a kid who threw 90. We're like, ooh, this kid throws 90. When I got to college, everybody, everybody, threw, 90. everybody threw 90. Like, everybody you, you weren't playing unless you threw 9-plus, right? And actually, the kids that was throwing in the 8s were worse because they had cut all over the place. You had to have exceptional movement if you're going to stick around without the speed, you know? So, and then imagine going from there to the pros and stuff like that. It's like a whole thing. So, with your career, man, it's, it's so funny. They say the game will let you know when it's time to move on, right? So... Was it about the talent jump up, or what happened with your career that, you know? It wasn't about the talent. I've always had the You could play? Yeah. So in 2015, um, I ended up going to American International College in Springfield, Massachusetts. I won the Rookie of the Year. Uh, it was all-conference as well. Um, I ended up getting a full scholarship for the baseball program. One of the – actually, not one of the – it was the biggest scholarship that was ever handed out by the – by the program, it's hard to do because baseball baseball doesn't get enough that everybody gets, the people don't know that they have to everybody gets like a quarter or a half or whatever so that's a big deal. So out of all the scholarships, I had twenty grand. I walked onto the I walked onto the program my freshman year. So out of pocket, I needed to pay like I think it was about like fifteen, seventeen grand or something like that. Basically, the amount that my scholarship was worth. Right. So going into my sophomore year, um, I went to go register for my classes, but I still had a past due balance of like eleven grand, so they wouldn't let me do it. Couldn't play on the team. I couldn't practice. I couldn't lift. I couldn't do nothing with the team. I couldn't be in the locker room or anything. So that, like, like demoralized me a lot because I put in a lot, a lot of work. And for me to depend on somebody else for me in order to play, it was just like, bro, like, I'm putting in 12 hours a day. I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm in, I'm in the gym at 5. Which is what it takes. Which is what it takes to get to that level and to be successful. 
And that's it. They cut you loose. No, no, the coach didn't come in and save the day. The athletic director, like they just. There's nothing that they can do. It's that's up to the faculty at the admissions. So that's it. They did their part. They gave me $20,000 in a scholarship. Right, right. <laughs> what more are they supposed to do? You know what I mean? It's like, okay, CJ, come up with the eleven grand. But yeah. me, it's like, yo, like I'm playing summer baseball. I'm out in Ohio. I'm traveling to, from Ohio. I'm going across Michigan, doing all this other stuff. I can't work. Mm-hmm. I got to hone my skills. I got to keep my. I got to keep everything intact. Because if I come back in the fall season and I haven't been playing no baseball, but I've just been working, I'm going to be that much further behind. So it was just like a sh- constant struggle of asking my parents, trying to find somebody to loan me some money. And I'm like, yo, like, I just did all this. I got a full scholarship. So why can't y'all come up with this bread for me? So I ended up transferring to a couple more schools. I transferred to Southern New Hampshire University, and then I went to uh, Northern Essex Community College. And then after I tried to play baseball at those two schools, I was like, bro, like, fuck this. I'm not doing this. I'm not even going to try to do this anymore. I might as well just go get me a little job, work, get me a little girlfriend. I'll be chilling. So you were out, out. You were out of sports. You were out of college. Like, you were out. I was, I checked out completely. I hung up the cleats. Like, I hung them up. We talk about, there's a lot of the research is done on the pros, but, you know, when people lose that piece, they lose sports, they lose that foundation, you know, substance abuse goes through the roof, you know, negative behaviors go through the roof, mental health declines, uh, you know, abuse within relationships. And I'm not accusing you of any of these things. What I'm saying is it's like that's a hard transition that people with a lot of resources have not navigated well. We've all seen professional athletes in the news. And I never thought I'd be the one to go through, like, substance abuse or any type of drug abuse my damn self. But after I left college and I moved on from it, I found myself buying a 12-pack of yinglings every, every day after work. Because I just want to have a beer. Find myself smoking like four or five joints a day for what? I don't need to get, I don't need to smoke that much. I never did. So that's you now. What did it do for you then that you fell into it? It was like an escape mechanism of vice for like me not to think about whatever it was that I was thinking about. Because I would imagine during that time there's a lot of uncertainty What's next? I don't have, I don't, because, you know, the discipline it takes to be an athlete, you're in practice every day. When you don't have formal practice, you're working out, like you're working on your craft the whole time. To lose all that, not only does it free up all those hours, but like that identity piece of like who I am. I lost a lot of weight. Right now, I'm probably like 140 pounds soaking wet. Back then in college, I was 165. I lost about like 30 pounds. Because you're not training, you're not, yeah, yeah. And you weren't, doesn't sound like nutrition was high on your list right then. Oh my gosh, yo, my, my regiment, my routine, my schedule, I was, like, I was on it. So, like, once I was off of that routine and that regiment and that program, it was, like, everything just went loose. We got to share some secrets on that because you stopped playing and you lose weight. I stopped playing and I was, like, <laughs> 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 I went the other way. So we're going <laughs> to we're gonna have to meet in the middle somewhere. So so how long was that period of your life, man? Because that sounds like that was tough. I mean, were you in that for years? I was in that for for some years I ain't even told nobody this. I was in that for a couple of years. It was like a couple of years where I was just like drinking, smoking, doing uh, doing nothing more than just going to work and coming home. I didn't have a sense of no purpose. I didn't have fire. I didn't have no hunger. I didn't have no drive back then. I, I didn't wake up in the morning and was like, word, I'm doing this. It was like, all right, I'm waking up in the morning. I'm finna go do this motherfucking little job. I'm about to go make me my little... Actually, back then, it was like $14 an hour. 
good money. Which was know, good. Back which in the day. Back in the day, it was better than it is now, yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. But, yeah. Athletes need a goal, man, and it's hard to just do that Groundhog Day thing where it's just punch a clock, grind it out because you're not chasing anything, you know? There's, like, uh, the the pursuers and the people who are getting pursued, and you weren't pursuing anything, you know? You just feel like you're serving time in a way, you know, because it's the same thing. Were you uh, mentally or physically, whatever, I mean, looking back on it now, you've got some clarity on it, but were you struggling during that time? Were you unhappy? Were you suffering through that, or you just thought that was normal? I thought it was normal. Yeah, it's what adults do. I never really thought I had any mental health issues or problems or, like, concerns like them like that because there are people out there who really really have some something going on upstairs um so i would never play or joke around about that um but i still don't want to like act like i wasn't you know what i mean i wasn't myself or i wasn't happy at the time or i felt miserable at other times and sometimes you know maybe it was just more downs and ups at the time you know you know, one of the things you said there, I worked as a therapist for a long time. People have to be careful of when they're managing their mental health, not falling in that trap of other people have it worse. So my problem's not worth, you know, addressing or not worth dealing with. Uh, we don't do that in any other type of health, right? Like if your ankle hurts, you go get somebody and look at your ankle. If you, if you feel something in your heart, you go, ah, oh. you don't go, well, that guy had a heart attack. So my heart's probably not that bad. You go get checked out. You know, you get that support. But with mental health, we don't do that. We're just like, nah, I can gut it out. It's okay. Or why do we do that with mental health? Why did you do that? Conditioning. I think it was because I've been, maybe it was because I was an athlete. Maybe it was because I was just like bred to be like, uh, shake it off, dust your shoulders off. All right. Lace your shoes back up. Let's go. Are you hurt? Are you injured? Remember that? If you're hurt, you can still play. If you're injured, you're out. Right. So like, you're like, maybe I'm just hurt. Maybe I'm just, I'll fight through the hurt. You know, I'll get through it. Ain't nothing. I think that's part of it. I think also the lack of education sometimes, right? Because like you said, people aren't taking psychology classes in high school. Most people learn about mental health on Instagram now, you know. And even even back then, you couldn't even go on the internet and find nothing on mental health. You couldn't even search mental health podcasts, and you might be able to come up with one or two back then. Yeah, he had like Dr. Drew, right? Sometimes he'd talk about it a little bit on like Loveline and those shows. But And you're a young guy. I mean, that's not that long ago. I mean, we're talking, what, five, ten years ago? Yeah. So that is, you know, that's the plus side. When people started getting serious about fighting that stigma, there are a lot more resources and awareness. At least we're having conversations around it, you know. So Yeah, at least the conversation is, is, is being had, which is important. Did it, uh, it's just kind of a uh, broad question, but did it, um, I mean, did it get bad for you? I mean, how did you help figure it out? Because people talk about hitting bottom. And like, what that usually means is it sucks so bad. They're like, I got to change some things here. Like, do you felt like you hit bottom on some of this stuff? Or did you just gain awareness and be like, I got to make changes? Like, how did it start to turn around? I don't know whether or not I hit rock bottom or not. Because I don't know what my rock bottom really is. I felt like I was at the lowest point in my life. I needed something to change. And change usually starts happening when you have a change in personal beliefs. So I started believing there's something more out there for me. And then randomly one day I'm at work. I'm at the second job overnight that I had working at this motherfucking call center. Um, this chick, she gave me a ride home. She was like, oh, my uh, my husband, he's a producer, he's an engineer. She starts freestyling the car, blah, 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 blah. So I was just like, I bust out a freestyle too. <laughs> she was like, yo, you should come down to the, uh, you should come through one time, um, come smoke. 
hop in the studio, hop on the track or something. I was like, all right, cool. You know what I'm saying? Fuck it. See what happens. Then just ended up recording a song called Hennessy, and they ended up liking it. I showed it to a couple more people. They ended up liking the sound, and I was like, eh, all right. I still don't even think I make, like, great music. Maybe I don't know when I'll figure it out, yeah. but... <clears throat> I think, well, we can talk about that. I've heard some of your stuff. I think it's good. But I think uh, that's the artist right there. Like, you never, yeah, I don't think any artist has ever put a song down or painted a painting or wrote a book that was like, this is perfect. You know what I mean? You just feel like you do your best at it. And you, sometimes you you get to that place where you let the world in and that you share it and they can see it and hear it or whatever the case may be. But I've seen interviews with lots of artists. They look back on it and it's like something that they're famous for. And they're like, oh, man, I can't, uh, we should have done this instead of that. Like, you know what I mean? It's like a, I don't know. I don't think it's ever perfect. You know, you have to forgive yourself and release that idea of perfection if you're going to produce things. Because if so, you'd never show anybody anything. I need to do a better job of that because I'm sitting on so much work right now that I'd be like, <sighs> but then people call me, they'll email me, be like, yo, send me some of your unreleased music. Send me da, 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 da. I'd be like, uh, all right. What holds you, hold you back? Is it fear? You think people won't like it? Is it just your own standards? Like what holds you back from? My own standards? Because I like what I like, and if I don't like it, I don't like it. I'm not going to let you listen to it if I don't like it. Right. But it's not up to me. What I like, what you like, yeah. what you like is what you like. You might not like the song that I like. You got you to gotta listen, or you, I say listen, because I read all my books by listening now, because I'm just driving around, I'm like, you know, reading, like, what's reading, you know? I wish I had time to sit and read a book, dude. I do, well, like, I'm traveling, <laughs> but I have Audible or whatever. And uh, The Creative Act by Rick Rubin, have you have you seen that or heard of that? No, I haven't seen that. So Rick Rubin works with all the big ones. I mean, Beastie Boys, I mean, he worked with Run DMC, Aerosmith, uh, Avet Brothers. I mean, he's a king in the music business as far as a producer, you know. And so he's kind of looking back on his life, and he talked about how the lessons he's learned from working with all these amazing artists. So uh, you got to check it out. we got to get you a copy. It's, it's great. Um, but he talks about it. He's like, it's not your idea, and it's not – when you're ready for it to be out. He goes, you've been given that idea because the universe is ready for that idea to exist. And he says, sometimes it may not even go through you. Like if you sit on an idea too long, it's going to come out through somebody else. else. You know what I mean? And so it's not just about fear. Like you better let it out before somebody else does. It's about releasing your personal ownership of that and realizing the universe is ready for this idea. And I'm going to get it and do my best job with it. And I'm going to put it out there and then we'll see. We'll see, you know? And some of the biggest name artists you can imagine put out stuff that they thought was absolute shit. And phew, goes crazy, right? And he said the other thing is is that the, the, uh, they put out stuff that they've been absolutely in love with, and people are like, eh. Yeah. You know, it's like, because you, that was your idea. That wasn't the universe's idea, right? So you're, you're a medium for what the universe wants to do. Uh, I see how you brought that back from right? the circle. Yeah. So, you know, which is a good way to kind of let yourself off the hook because it's really not about you. It's not it's about, about me. Yeah. It's not about me at all. And that's that's probably the best part about music and being an artist is it's not about me at all. It's I create music for people to enjoy, have a good time, vibe, and listen to. Um, it's, it was honestly it was never about me. Even my first song that I made, it was ne I never wanted to make it. So yeah, yeah. You, was music part of your life uh, early on? Like, did you bring that talent from, like, you know, a childhood? Or was Man, it just like no. My daddy and my mama, I was grown up and raised in the church. Gotcha. Gospel. Choir? choir boy. Yeah, that's why I could sing a little bit. That's why my voice sounded like the way it do. Yeah. Because I was a choir boy. Um, I couldn't listen to no hip-hop. 
couldn't watch no uh, uh, Real House Housewives of Atlanta. No, no, couldn't watch no BET, no Wildin' Out. I had to wait till my parents leave. But then when they came back, I had to make sure the channel was turned to ESPN because when they came back and the channel was on on, on, on MTV, <laughs> I get an ass whooping. And you got to change it twice because they hit that last button. They right? hit the you last button and you got to change it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I couldn't play no, I couldn't play no, I couldn't play GTA. I couldn't play, I couldn't play Halo. I couldn't play Modern Warfare 2. I couldn't play no shooter, no violence, no nothing. Like I was really raised on like a good straight and narrow path what happened down the road <laughs> yeah well what did happen is that is that all come up in that time where you kind of lost your lost yourself i mean because when i'm looking at your life story i see like you know family you know choir boy like you said church and then i see athletics right so to kind of the all-american deal and now i see you musician on this back end but i feel like there's this gap in the middle there where you were searching and maybe lost a little bit there was it was between the ages of like 20 two to 25 I would say those four three to four years I was just figuring shit out like trial and error and not in a straight line no I would work at a job for a year go to the next one because I just didn't want to work at a warehouse I didn't want to work at a scrapyard I didn't want to work over there I didn't want to do no regular shit mine was a sandpaper factory I worked at a sandpaper factory one summer came home with bleeding fingertips and I was like nope so it's not gonna work, you know. I gotta figure something out. What did your parents say, or what do they say about that period of your life? Because there's not much I see with Choir Boy and Church and Straight and Narrow that ma- that like matches up or meshes well with like drinking, lost, figured it out, maybe tattoos, maybe the look changed. I don't know. Like, were they worried about you or tattoos? That's 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 a whole another different story. Um, but they wanted me to play, get back into baseball. They really wanted me to get back into baseball. They really wanted me to go back to college, go back to school, get my degree, and um, and get back into sports. Were they just worried about you? They were. They were worried because they knew how much potential that I had. And it's hard for a parent to sit there and just watch their child, like, go through some shit. There's a phrase that a parent can only be as happy as their unhappiest child. Right. And that's that's the level, you know, and maybe they had a sense that you were or you were unhappy during that time when you were lost. I mean, I don't know. Were you were you unhappy or were you OK? Shit. I felt like I was fine, honestly, because I was I had accepted the fact that I had moved on from baseball. Yeah. I accepted the fact that I was no longer going to be pursuing a professional uh, athletic career. So I'm fucking lying. I'm fucking lying right now. I'm just gonna let you do it. And I, <laughs> yo, I was miserable, bro. I was, I, I was miserable. I mean, I would, I, I would come home. Like I said, I come home. I'd be drinking. I never came home and like immediately went to go crack open a beer. Uh, like having a drink is just push, just have a drink whenever you want to have a drink. Um, it was always, oh, I need to, I need to go take this substance to get my mind off of what I'm thinking about. So it was like. It was a good three to four, four years where I was just like lying to myself. Like, I need to do this. And isn't it interesting, like even in the moment, there's that impulse to even lie in retrospect a little bit about it, right? Not that you're under like a, this is an interrogation, right? right? Like, who cares? There's no consequences. So you tell me whatever you want. I'll go, oh, that's neat. But to even for yourself, it's like you want to kind of retell that story and smooth off some of those rough edges, you know. But I bet it, I bet it was, I bet it sucked. I bet it sucked sometimes, to be honest. Because you had an aim, you had a goal, and to feel aimless and without a goal and kind of lost, I just don't think that that's in your nature, you know? Probably, 
and I'm, I'm, please take this the right way, but like when you go see animals at the zoo and they're just wandering, you know, and you could tell like there's a restlessness inside. Like you have more to offer the world. Like that tiger has more to offer the world than just like pacing. Than just exactly. <laughs> and being boxed up in this enclosed. And that's what I'm imagining with you. It's just like, I'm just, I'm closed in by this job. I'm maybe closed in by not positive relationships. I'm not, I'm closed in by bad habits with myself and uh, not a positive relationship with and myself. Then, and then like the substance abuse would um, then translate over into my relationships with the chicks that I was dealing with at the time. Um, it, we would get into like petty arguments or it was never any DV or domestic violence or anything like that. I never put my hands on a woman and I'll never let a woman put her hands on me. I'll leave the motherfucking house before yeah. that shit ever happens or run. But, um, but it was just petty arguments. I would not give a fuck about her feelings and, you know, I'm unhappy. You're unhappy. We're in the same place. So we'll just fuck with each other. And then on top of that, it's like now she's drinking. Now she's smoking more than she ever even wanted to do. So now her health is now she's getting bigger, right? I'm getting skinnier, but she's getting she's 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 blowing up like a tent. <laughs> <laughs> she's on my program. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. She's on my program. And then it's like, wow, fuck. I didn't fucking I didn't fuck my life up and then fucked her up her, fucked her up too just by just by default. You felt responsibility, like you got her into it? Yeah. Same girl this whole time? Or no, mm-hmm. but you just kind of dragging them down. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a couple of different. It was a couple of different. You girls. had the same influence on all of them, though. Like, yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't. I I tried like moving when I moved on to the next one. I tried doing it differently. Sure, of course, but it still ended up the same result because I was still doing. I still brought my mind into the relationship. The same mind. I didn't let that mind go. So I I was still the same old me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you mentioned twice now since we've been talking that, like, you know, why why drink? And you're like, I'm, I'm trying to hide from those feelings. You know, I'm trying to hide from the, you know, what was it? What were the difficult feelings that you were hiding from? Now that you got some distance from it, can you look back and see exactly what you were trying to avoid? I haven't really told anybody this, but I felt like a coward when I moved on and I dropped out of college and I stopped playing baseball. Um, I knew with my talent, I could have kept going. I could have went very, very far with it. Who knows how far I could have gone. But I knew I could have made a living and lived a modest life. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of people's lives, careers were dependent upon my success. Um, I let a lot of people down. I made promises that I didn't keep. And ultimately, I broke a lot of hearts. And that fucked me up afterwards for a long, long time. So that's something that always stuck with me. You still feel it now, you can tell. Hell yeah. And shout out to Coach Kalini. Well, I mean, because when you describe yourself as a team player, there's lots of different teams to be on, right? And you wouldn't have let your teammates down on the field, right? So then you got your off-the-field team, and you maybe felt like you let them down. I felt like I let the whole team down, the whole school. Even the president of, of AIC. I was I was like having meetings with the president of the school the like it was like ridiculous the amount of like stuff that I didn't deserve was just given to me. What do you think life would look like now if you didn't end up in that car where the girl was like, you know, making music and said, "Let's go." And you know, that moment seems to be like a real turning point for you. So, where would I be? I just wonder what life would look like if that didn't happen. I really don't know cuz once that happened I was I was in the studio like damn near every other day. 
like or whenever I could get the chance, I would I would just be in the studio because like people liked my music, they liked my art, they liked my work, they appreciated it. So I was like, wow, like people actually like appreciate the work that I'm that I'm putting out. So fuck it, I as well just. But where I would be if that never happened, shit, I wouldn't be here. I'd probably still be in Florida somewhere. Uh, I didn't know you were in Florida. You you went down there for a while. Yeah, I spent about half my life down in Florida. Okay, after baseball. After baseball, I went, went down south. I went I went down south. The geographic cure. Yeah, I went down south. I thought I, <laughs> I thought I was making a complete life change, and I was gonna be like the best regular nine to five dude that you'd have never met. Because up here, I'm this guy, and I got to be a new guy, so I'm gonna head south. I'm gonna head south. New slate. Nobody knows who I am. No expectations. New expectations. No team to let down. But then I still was like, I was still playing baseball though. Oh, gotcha. I was still playing in like a uh, in like a semi pro league, okay. amateur league down there. Yeah, so a little bit of you went. A little bit followed. <laughs> a little bit followed. But like everybody, we discover everywhere you go, there you are, right? You can't outrun you. And so this is all happening in Florida, and you're still, you know, all those same feelings and emotions and stuff. And did the music thing start happening in Florida as well? Music started happening in Florida. Gotcha. That started about three years ago, during the uh, pandemic, actually. Oh, wow. Pandemic. Yeah. Which is an amazing story, because we lost, I talked about this on the other podcast, we lost so many connections during a pandemic, because the government was like, put on your mask, go sit in your room. You know, you can walk in the you can walk in the park if nobody else is around. You know that kind of stuff. If nobody and else is around. Remember they told us we get it from our dogs and everything. Like they didn't want us doing anything. They want us by ourselves. And then you found a way to connect during that time, and it seems like it's changed everything for you. Before we go on, I want to say a few words about a new behavioral health. A new behavioral health is an outpatient provider of mental health and substance abuse services in Ohio and New Hampshire. That means that a new can successfully treat mental health and substance abuse issues or dual diagnosis if you're struggling with both. Their integrated approach allows for them to successfully address issues related to anxiety, depression, addiction, trauma, and really anything that stands between your life and the life you could be living. You really cannot bring them an issue that they have not successfully treated. They have also solved one of the biggest problems for people seeking help. They have a dedicated team waiting to hear from you at helpnow at anewbh.com. If you contact them today, within 24 hours, you will have heard back from, wait for this, a real live person and will also have your first appointment scheduled at that time. So how do you contact them? Well, if you're in Ohio or New Hampshire, you're probably close to one of their local locations. You're welcome to go in. If not, you can always reach them online at anewbh.com. And if you're interested in services for you or loved one, use that address, helpnow at anewbh.com. Was it right away? I mean, you, you found this avenue and you said you're in the studio every day. You just threw yourself right into Still it? Still was not right away. Yeah. It's like, even, even like right now, it's kind of like... It's just happening right now to me. I, I'm just now thinking it's happening to me, like, right now. Okay. Even though you've been doing it for how long? Three years. How do you think you'll know that you've made it or that you have made that change? Because I wonder if you're not just always going to be a work in progress. How I know I made it is when I is when I get on the 85 motherfucking South show with Carlos Miller, Chico Bean, and DC Young Fly. That's the goal. That is the goal. I'll know I made it when I'm on the 85 South show. That's how I know I made it. Until I get on the 85 South Show. Keep nah, going. I'm going to keep going. Well, I'm, I'm going to keep going regardless. Right. But I know I ain't making it until I get on that show. So, Ian will clip that up. We'll, sit, we'll, we'll add some people. We'll see what we can do there, man. We'll see what we can 
extend the reach here a little bit. But because what I think is going to happen is I think you're going to make it on that show. And I think the day after you make it on that show, you're going to go, man, you're going to buy something or you're going to have an experience. You're going to feel it for like for like a minute. Right. So I'm throwing it out there in the universe, making my making my uh, uh, daily deposits, you know, it'll happen. And then what will happen the next day is you'll pick a new goal because I just think that's part of who you are. And you're like, yeah, that was good, but. I really ain't gonna make it till I'm on, you know, yeah. till I'm on this show. Yeah, I'm gonna be a sway in the morning or something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really make it then. And then you'd be like, I gotta get a video. And now, but that's okay, right? Because I think as, I think as humans, much less men, I think we need to chase. I think we need something that we're pursuing. Yeah, and without that, I've had without that, I've been lost. Like I was literally just like up in the air, like a like a, a leaf in the wind, yeah. so to speak. In that three years since you've started to put it together, we'll acknowledge you being a work in progress. What has changed for you in a positive way about your own mental health, about your relationships? Are you starting to see the improvement or are you still having struggles there? I think I'm still having struggles while also seeing improvement at the same time. Um, I think more improvement than struggles now, so more than ever, uh, because of the people who I'm surrounded with. So that takes a lot into the energy, the vibrations, and the frequency that I'm at. So I think this year is really is really a huge stepping stone for me um, to really take a step in that direction. Yeah, I think it's important what you said there, too, because it's like we talked about earlier, it's not a straight line, right? So even though you are seeing more improvements, this idea that it magically just all changes, I think that's disrupted a lot of people's recoveries, a lot of people's journey through mental health because they think there's this line that, like, on this side I feel bad and on that side I feel good. And that's not really how it works. It's it's kind of ups and downs. You may feel better one day, worse the next. But you're, you know, over a long enough trend, you're moving up, right? But on the day-to-day, there's those little variations. I just don't want – I just – I'm just not going to let the technicalities get in the way of me embracing the journey and the process because this is what it's all about. You know, life is going to come with ups and downs, twists and turns, um, but we can only go left before we need to go right. You know what I mean? So it's important to – it's just important to continue to keep like-minded people around us because if we don't um, and we have a low vibrational people around us, they will bring us down way more than we could ever bring them up. And you know that because you had that influence on others in a not great way. The vibration was down. Yeah. When when my vibration and I'm vibrating at a low frequency, it's everything is, to me, it seems like the whole space that I'm in is just bad, bad, bad. But when I'm great and everything is great, everything is like, it's like paradise. So some of the terminology you're using with the, the vibration, the frequencies, and the, man, I mean, are you, you're into this as far as manifesting and you feel like, I mean, so where did you discover that? Has that been recent as well? No, I, I was very spiritual. I was always spiritual. Um, I think just because of I was grown up and raised in the church and me being forced to be religious and defend a certain specific religion my whole life, not knowing why, I leaned more into spirituality the older I got. Interesting words. Forced, defend. I mean, it's just interesting relationship. When I started to look more into spirituality, I always knew that the world, the universe revolved around energy, vibration, frequencies. Um, and energy is really one of the things that um, humans, how we interact with each other. Like, we, we don't even need to talk. I could just we could just look walk past each other before I can just get the whole the whole scoop on 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 anybody. Yeah, and then we have those people in our life, right, that we meet and we feel like almost like we've missed them 
and we didn't even know them. You know what I mean? Like you connect right away. You start to feel like almost relief that they're in your life again. You know what I mean? And like a week ago, you didn't know who they were. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not. I'm not like one of those two woke. I'm not like one of those two woke people who are like, oh, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just, you know what I mean? I'm spiritual. Yeah, yeah. You dig what I'm saying? I'm spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> I got a connection with the higher source of power. Speaking of a higher source of power, why do they, why does God have a, uh, a he, a she? Why does he have a noun? Probably with the church I was raised in, it's probably because his, uh, his representative, who did he send to earth, right? It was Jesus in human form and he was a man. And so I think it's easy that transitive property of there was a man must be masculine energy. This ain't that type of podcast. You know what I'm saying? It can I'm be. Just, it was just. It can it be. Was just a question. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to get too yeah. woke in here for the people right now. It, it can <laughs> be. No, I. You know, it's a, It's funny in the recovery, which I, I meant to ask you. Did you when you stop? I mean, when you got to. I don't, I don't even know. We won't get into your too much of your details. But as far as getting control of your drinking and substance abuse. Did you just do that solo or did you go through a program? Did you get professional help? I like, did that solo. I did that solo dolo. Yeah. I came, I stopped drinking for like a couple of weeks. Yeah. It wasn't even that long. It was like a couple of weeks. Right. I went back home because I was working away from home. I went back home to visit my family. My family members looked at me. They were like, yo, CJ, you look way better. I can see it on your face. And I was like, Really? That's what not drinking for a couple of weeks does. And that, that's just, you like that positive reinforcement? I, that? I love that positive reinforcement. Like, they didn't really understand how much yeah. that meant to me in the long term because it was like, I'll never forget that. I'll, I'll never forget that. If they never said anything, I, I would still be walking around like my shit don't stink. Which is an important thing for family members because they talk about when people are in addiction, like, how can I help? the people, person I love who's struggling with addiction. And a lot of it is is to just be real and not pull punches, both positive and negative, right? Because they need that feedback. Yeah, You get so wrapped up in yourself, you really can't see outside. So having that outside view of you, I think, is, is helpful. And sometimes people, like, doing more than just saying something, like, that doesn't help. Sometimes people yeah. just need you to just say something. Right. Just say something. It could be just some positive reinforcement. Yeah. And you never know what that might do for the for the person. Yeah, we don't have to go back to it, but that's what in recovery world they say the God of your understanding, right? So who cares if it's a guy or a girl or whatever? It's just this idea that there's something more than me, something bigger than me, you know. Um, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So with a lot of this being about identity, you know, one thing I want to say, I'm, I'm stuck in a thought. Them coming in and telling you you look good after three weeks of not drinking is like the sobriety equivalent of holding up that newspaper when you Walking the walking my freshman year, yes, yes, yes. That it brought back that dopamine in my brain. I was like, damn, like these people, they love me. Like uh, they they love me for me. They like they they care about me. It's it's not just they're not they're not faking it. The shit real. If they wasn't if they didn't give a fuck about me, they would still have let me walk around that house and not have said nothing. Yeah, you can save somebody's life on accident sometimes. You know what I mean. Just with a few words. The right word at the right time, you know, the, or caring enough to offer some words, right? Because uh, you said they didn't have to do that and say anything, you know, but they cared enough to share that. It was the way they said it because they could have said it differently in like a sarcastic, rude way. They could have been like, damn, yo, I see you ain't been drinking like that, CJ. All right. You sure you don't want a beer? But they were like, yo, bro, you look a lot better. I see you stopped drinking. Supporting the good habit, like it's a good thing. 
Yeah. The other one would have felt like judgment, judging you for all the past drinking, not celebrating your current, current choice. Sobriety, right, yeah. or whatever the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> how, does that, how does that mix with, uh, with music, you know? Because, I mean, listen, I'm not a musician. but It does end. not mix with music. Okay, that's being my thought. Sobri- being sober does not mix with music. And are you fully sober? Like, that's your thing. You're sober. Like, okay. okay. Not all the time. Okay. When I wake up, I'll be sober, but. But you're not drinking 12 beers every day and hiding. No, 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 no. I might have a drink. I'll have a drink, but in terms of waking up and buying a 12-pack, coming home and drinking that whole 12-pack, hell no. That 12-pack will last me, like, almost two weeks now. You don't have as much to hide from. No, I have nothing. Like, I'm, so to speak, free. Um, But when it comes to music and creating, it's hard to be in a space where you don't want to think about the outside external things that you just came from while being in a creative mindset to be able to put out the best work. So having the liquor, the alcohol or the weed or um, that just helps. What do I want to say? Liberate. Yeah. It helps the creative process because you're more free to share those things. Yeah. I'm just free in my, in my own head and it has nothing to do with anybody else. Just like if you were if you're at a bar, you'd be more likely to say things to a girl. That liquid courage. That liquid right? courage. Yeah. yeah. That you wouldn't if you were sober. But now you can say things to the world. So And this that's probably that's something that doesn't get talked about in the music industry. Sure. It's like the health of the artists is uh I mean they get laughed at and like, Oh, why is he still on drugs? Why is he still doing this? Like, bro, like, do you know you know what it takes to create the music that you like? I mean, you never know what type of day I'd be having, like, or Nicki Minaj or Meek Mills or uh, Lil Baby or Gunna. You never know what type of day they'd be having. So it's like, yo, like, sometimes a dude might have to take a couple puffs of that of that joint and then, you know what I mean, get on that, get back on that mic and he'll come in there spin that fire. Well, because the reality is, I mean, let's just call it what it is. People don't care. Once you show you can produce that and it can be monetized, now you're a commodity. Just like an actress, just like an assembly line worker, just like anything, you know? They will give you all the shit that you need to stay awake and keep making hits. Just like a cow, you know? You need this antibiotic to keep producing milk? (laughs) You need to be locked in a cage and force-fed grass all day? Boom. Here you go. Because we need that milk. We need it. (laughs) It's it's horrible to talk about that, right? But that's what happens, man. People become cattle like that. And it's in every field. It's not just artistry. But that's the the scary part about making it. Because then you are not just an artist, you're a commodity. And I agree with you 100% because athletes fall into this too. I have a good friend I went to grad school with. She works with athletes and their families. And they lose who they are. They're no longer the father, the husband, the friend. You're the quarterback. And you need to throw those touchdowns. You need those touchdowns. No matter what. Because as soon as you stop throwing them, we don't care about the rest of that piece. We don't. Yeah, at all. The love stops. You actually start getting hate. Yeah, that's it. The hate's real bad. Bro, yeah. Oh, man, boy. <laughs> start, just start being trash. Start throwing interceptions. Sit in the crowd, dude, of any, like, high-level sporting event. Oh, And my listen gosh. to how people talk to kids. College. Forget pros. I mean, they'll tell kids in college that they're going to kill them. You fucking suck. You're worthless, you're trash, your girlfriend's this, your mom's this, you didn't, you, know, you suck, kill yourself. As a mental health professional, the amount of times I've sat in a stadium and heard adults yell at, at children, man, 18, 19 years old, go fucking kill yourself. I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing, you know? And then we wonder why somebody speeds. We wonder why they get caught with weed. We wonder why they have a troubled relationship with their girlfriend. You know, it's like, 
I mean, I'm all for like cheer for the home team, but like let's not destroy people's lives in the process. I mean, it's because you know everybody that's on that field, everybody that's in that studio is a kid that had a dream. Yeah. And then, you know, spent decades. You know, whenever I'm in the stands, I never say anything. I think that's the baseball in me. Yeah. I think that's the baseball, like the baseball. Baseball coaches, baseball players, we don't, when we're in the stands, we don't say shit. It's not the people that were ever in the arena that ever do that stuff. It's never, it's yeah. This it's the guy never. who got cut in junior high. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, everybody's open from the couch. He got cut from the JV squad. <laughs> ah, you suck. I can see from my couch that dude was open. Throw it there. Like, dude, those aren't the people. As if a you matter of fact, speaking of the JV squad, when I walked on to AIC, the baseball team, my freshman year, right? And during the fall, this guy named Mike Coyne. Never forget it. We're taking batting practice, just like taking BP. The, we're, picking up, we're picking up the balls after he takes his, his rounds. There's this one baseball that has these two letters on it. It said JV. Now, there's no fucking JV program in fucking college. It's fucking the baseball team. And then you have the ex- the extracurricular. Whatever yeah, club that, team. The club, 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 teams, club yeah. team. So this motherfucker was playing with me. I'm like, all right. He, he gave me this baseball. He was like, this is what you're going to be on. Mm. I said, word? Mind you, he was a, what was it, a second year senior or some shit like that? Like a red shirt. He wasn't even a red shirt. Actually, you know what? He was a red shirt. He had a red shirt that year because he got hurt. Uh, but yeah, because he was hurt, so we couldn't even play. So I was like, "All right, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool." So I go back home over winter break, um, talking to my brother. I tell my brother, I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna win Rookie of the Year this year." He was like, "For real?" I said, "Yeah, I'm gonna do it." So this guy named Brett. Brett was a senior captain. He played second base. Mind you, I told you I was I was uh, an outfielder in, in in high school, and I but I played infielder my whole life. So when I get to college, I'm warming up to be in the outfield, I'm, and then I'm coming in the infield to take uh, ground balls at the yeah. end. Um, so we have a Gold Glove shortstop, and Eddie Rich, fire one of the yo the best shortstop I've ever played. You with can pick him. it, yeah. Man, when I tell you, we turned so many motherfucking double plays, yo, we was turning double plays like we was motherfucking flipping pancakes. <laughs> All that touch of glove. What? Just, oh, quick, quick, fast, and I hurry. But, um, so shortstop was taken. I couldn't play shortstops. So that's why you see guys who have those on their, on their player cards, their utility, they play second, outfield. So, boom, I go, to, I go to second base. I ended up taking the senior captain, Brett. I took his spot going into the spring training, going into the season. He was sick. Yeah, as a true freshman, not not easy to do, man. As a true freshman, right. I wasn't I wasn't redshirted. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um but I struggled in the in the very beginning. Uh I made three errors in ten games. Too many errors. Too many errors. So what's that? That's thirty in a hundred? Yeah, that's way too many fucking errors. So um I got benched. They put Brett back in. He kept making but the thing is he makes mad, he makes more errors. He makes more errors than I do. And actually, his errors, anyways. Um, so I ended up taking his spot, getting the position back, and I ended up running with it. I ended up finishing that season hitting 315 with a on base of like 415 or and a slugging of like 380 or something like that. Um, but I it was it was such a I looked up at the end of the year, and after all the work that I put in, um, Coach Fenton, he came over to me. He was like, yo. 
bro, you run rookie of the year. And I was like, no, I didn't. You lied to me. He pulls out his phone. He was like, yo, look at this, dog. This, this is on the NE10, yeah. the NE10 website right here. I was like, word? So that's the part of manifestation when I started to believe that spirituality was really, yeah. was really a thing because put it out, I came back. So I'm putting this out there again. <laughs> here it comes. Uncle, Uncle Los, <laughs> Chico Bean, DC on Fly, the 85 South Show. Get me on there. Oh, and Poor Minds, too. Shout out to Dre and Lex. You're going to make it a couple times. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You'll be there, man. You'll, it'll come back. Might take you a while, right? It might take me a while. Hey, but if, if it only takes time, I'm... We all have that. We're here anyway, right? So if this whole thing being about identity loosely, you know, and kind of you transitions through different identities, who, who were you then? Who are you now? What's changed? The reasons why I do what I do... I think I was playing baseball because I wanted to make millions of dollars. And I started to rethink that during one training session. Um, I was taking batting practice with my coach. And he was like, what is the goal here? What is your goal when you step to the plate? And I was like, to get to home base? Because I'm, I'm in the batter's box, so I would think my goal is to score a run, right? And then he was like, no, it's to make a million dollars. And I was like, I've never played the game for to make millions of dollars. It was because I loved the game itself. So once I started to realize that other, other people were just in it for the money, I realized that I wasn't even in it for the fucking money. Right. So if I'm not in it for what the reasons why they into it for, why should I? Mm, it just really didn't fit. No, I didn't fit. So what about now? So who are you now? Now, I am nephew for real. From the Untouchables, I'm an artist, young black man from the state of New Hampshire, 27 years old. Got a whole lot more life to live. Got a whole lot of life to give. Still figuring things out, um, just as the next man is, as we all are. Um, shit. You know, I try to be the best person I can be. I try to do the right thing. Um, but, you know, life, it is what it is. Life is what it is. Um, I am who I am now. Fuck. I'm still trying to figure that out, honestly. like <laughs> Work in progress, man. It's a work in progress. Yeah. It's a work in progress. What about through that transition, how has your relationship with others changed? What about your personal relationships, your family relationships? Before and after, how are, how's that changed? Oh, it's so different now. People look at me in a different light. It's, they, they don't see nephew. They see CJ. They remember me as CJ. The way I used to talk before, I would never talk this freely before. It, it, was, I would, it was like a script. I was like, I was like I was speaking like a robot. Like if, I was, if you were to imagine Russell Wilson in like a me version of me talking, like that's kind of like what, it would, what, what you would hear. Um, so... Even when I go back home, I go back and I see people that I seen back in the day who used to see me growing up. They look at me now and they hear me talk. It's like, bro, you're not even like the same. Yeah. So it's different. Is that helping you connect? I mean, are people have, able to get closer to you now because you are more free with that? Or are you still kind of work in progress there as well? Yeah. I don't think so. Why not? Uh, you're not ready? They're not ready? A little bit of both? I think um, maybe a little bit of both, yeah. Maybe a little bit of both. You okay with that? 
they can feel lonely. I'm cool with it. I've accepted it. Yeah. If I, with this ability that I have to make music, yeah. if I need to be away for a long period of time in order for my family to be all right and create generational wealth, so be it. Once again, being a team player again. All right. So I'll ask you a question you're probably not going to be comfortable with. Same type of question I just asked you. But what about your relationship with yourself before and now? How has that changed? How your personal mental health, how you think about yourself, how you talk to yourself, how are you with you compared to back then? I think back then I had, um, I was way more close to myself back then. Like when I was playing, when I was playing sports, up until I was about 20, 21, 22, it's like I knew who I was every day. But then once I stopped, I had this type of disconnect with with myself in here where it was like, damn, well, without baseball, who am I? So it was like, I don't need to have anything outside for me to be who I am. So it took me a while to like, mm, just accept that. Thinking about that though, because you found yourself in a better position once you found another external thing through your music, right? That was when it all kind of changed for you. So I don't know. I'm not challenging the idea, but I wonder if there's something about that for you looking external that allows you to improve things internally. Maybe that's just part of your story. I'm not making songs about anybody else. I mean, my lyrics, you may hear me say you, they, he, she, or he, or you, or I'm really talking about myself. I'm really talking about myself. And through music, I've been able to connect with myself more by listening back to the stories that I'm telling by to the pic, by the to the picture that I'm painting with my words, and then I start to feel like okay, like you know, yeah. And isn't that a beautiful thing, man? The digger you, the 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 deeper you dig, and the more you give of yourself, the more you get for yourself, right? You're getting more out of it uh, by virtue of the more. Yeah, you're and then which each song I make, it's I'm figuring more and more about myself. Is that the goal? Tell us about your music. I mean, I'm going to try to hype you. We're talking. We're just trying to learn you. But what's your music about? In music, we we rap about life and we rap about death. That's what music is about. Um, I guess with the way that I like to create is I like to paint a picture. I like to paint things as black, paint it as white, and then add a gray area in, in between, which is my life, the way I, I choose to live or how I've lived my life up until now and how I'm living it still concurrently. But I don't, I don't want, I just want my music to be something that you can listen to. I want my music to be something that you could just be like, all right, I want to go on, I got to drive for a couple hours, I can play Nephew for a whole hour and a half. I don't even want to turn it off. So, yeah, so they can kind of lose themselves a little bit, right? Yeah, so you can figure more stuff about you if you can see yourself in me a little bit as well. What do you think people get wrong about music, right? Because, like, I don't know anything about music, and I look at the music industry, and, and I, you know, I can connect with it in terms of artistry because I think therapy is a form of art. So I can see similarities there. We're trying to find our way to the same places. But I don't know. I think sometimes musicians get judged, and people don't quite understand what they're really trying to do. The artist itself we get we it's not the music it's not the product it's the artist itself they get a lot of flack they catch a lot of hate for really like honestly no reason yeah. like for the shit that we say yeah. not the shit that we 
we're, we're not not the music that we're creating. It's oh, I don't like you. Like they just judge you. It's like you didn't like me for motherfucking saying shit. You like me for creating music. Why are you motherfucking? on my ass about me saying some shit that you don't agree with. I have an opinion just like you have an asshole. I, I'm interested in this because I'm really like curious about this impact of like social media, right? And how we live in a different world. Like, we well, didn't have any of this when I was growing up. You know, my kids are growing up just in literally a different planet than I grew up in, right? That feedback, is that coming on an individual level or is that on social? Is that like, how is that coming back to you when they're giving you that negative feedback or they're messing with you or they're judging you? Like, how are you receiving that? I don't even get negative feedback. Okay. It's not happening for you? I, I don't. I I maybe I I've I've gotten probably a couple negative feedbacks on a couple tracks, but I don't even pay it no mind. Negativity doesn't uh-uh. overwhelmingly positive feedback. Yeah, but you're still 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 sitting on all that stuff, even though everybody likes your stuff. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like kindergarten, man. It might be time to share. You need to share, man. Yeah, you know, yeah, share yeah, your toys to with your friends. Because, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe the universe is ready. I was thinking the universe wasn't ready for a long time. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, why why think that way? Maybe you were worried about you being ready. And you still might not be ready, but maybe it's not about you. you it's know? not about me. So we're close on time, man. I appreciate your honesty and all this stuff. One thing I do want to ask, though, we try to leave with some, like, you know, not necessarily advice, but just perspective on that. If you could go back in time and talk to the you that was stuck in that dark place, or you could talk to another person that's listening to this that's in that place now. They're hearing elements of their daily life and you describing your life. Any tips for them? Any guidance? Any support? Anything you wish you could have said to that version of you? So if I'm going to say something to my younger self, to anybody else out there who's listening to this, and you have been listening for the last hour or so, live life every day like you're going to die. Continue to keep going. And as long as you do that, you'll be fine. Take no days off. You feel like that's what you weren't doing during that time? Taking some days off? Each moment, life is about <clears throat> trade-offs, moments, opportunities, right? How can we distinguish one-shot opportunities for everyday moments? Things that we can do every day. This isn't something that I can do every day, right? I can't sit down and talk to you. I can't have some producers in the, in the studio. This is one of those one-shot moments. If I was to look back and tell, tell myself to make sure I capitalize on those one-shot moments and those opportunities and take the trade-offs that come with living every day like you're going to die, like it's your last. Because tomorrow's not promised. Thinking of that one-shot moment, I'm still thinking about that ride home, right? Like, and I know a producer, like, it's no accidents, man. Everything happens for a reason, and there was definitely some, some meaning and reason behind that, that moment. And if you're not... Living that way, you're not on on the lookout for those, like you call a one-shot moment. Could have just been a ride home. Could have just been a regular ride home. I probably would have made, I might have, might have would have quit that job. <laughs> not for real, because I was already getting sick of that job. Yo. The last ride home. <laughs> like, you need a ride tomorrow? Like, nah, I'm nah, good. I'm, <laughs> I'm straight. <laughs> I ain't like that funk-ass job anyways. Yeah, you like your life now? I love it. I love my life. I'm living. I'm living life right now. I'm having a great time. Every day I'm waking up with a purpose, with like just, yeah. yo, life is great right now. Life is, life is great. 
I love that, man. I'm living. You know, some people out there that trapped feel like they're on that hamster wheel. They're just existing. You, whatever it means for you individually, you got to get to a place where you feel like you're living. I'm just living. That's it. I'm taking everything that comes with it. It doesn't mean you need a million bucks. You know, it doesn't mean it's got to be perfect. Actually, it's kind of you're kind of more living when it's not perfect, you know, because success has its own traps, and you can fall into that mindset of just like, it's just another day. Just another day. Still got my money. You know. How many times am I going to swim in my pool? You know, like. Yo, it, it, that's the mindset that I had back then. Yeah. I wasn't really living every day like it was my last. So it's it's more incumbent to me now to do that. So you get more out of it. It's good, man. Nephew for real, man. How do we find you? How do people find you and hey, check man. out your stuff? And all this music you're about to drop, where's it going to, you know? Hey, man, y'all can follow me on all platforms on ne as Nephew for real. Instagram, Apple Music, Spotify, um, Twitter. Facebook, everything, man. Um, dropping all my music is going to be released on Apple Music. Um, really, all the DSPs, honestly. Um, so we've got a lot of stuff coming for you. i got a lot, a lot, a lot of things that I'm cooking up right now in the, behind the scenes. Um, so stay tuned. Uh, thank you for having me up on here on the show today. Yeah, yeah. man. Uh, let's do it again, man. Thank you for the time. Appreciate your honesty. You know, you think musician, you think rap, you think all this stuff like that, man. You've really kind of broken down some stereotypes, hu humanized, you know, artists, right? Like we're just people trying to figure this stuff out. Um, and I'm telling you, man, I tell people to come on there. Somebody's going to hear this. And, you know, maybe after you've made it, there's going to be somebody coming behind you like, hey, man, I heard you. I heard you and I started living, you know, and here I am. Just man. live, man. That's it. Just live. Yeah. Just live. Why? Don't worry about nothing else. We all got a time to go. If you don't live, you, you run the risk of safely making it to your, your death. And then what? And then what? <laughs> <laughs> you go see that guy or girl or whatever, you know, is coming next. Man, so, yeah. man, go holla at that shorty that you would have seen in you that you're looking at, man. Live, bro. Do it. Just do it. Do it. If she turn you down, fuck it. Go screw it up. Go screw it up. Make a mess. Fuck it up. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Just live. That's all I'm asking y'all to do is just live. I'm going to say something. I, I think... I think I'm glad you didn't make it in sports because I think you have a lot more to offer. And see, that's another thing is too is I was always, I always knew that um, whatever I did in sports, it always made people like feel like hope or feel like they could do something else more. But I always knew that whatever effect that I had on people, it was way more. I could do way more than just what sports could ever. You can inspire people in sports, man. But if you can't hit a 95 mile an hour fastball, you just can't. Right, but they can go live. But they can go live. Right. Yeah. So there's something there. Yeah. Something there, man. I appreciate you, man. Thank yeah, you for man. the time. Thank you. Here we come on, Ian. Appreciate the smooth sailing. Producer Ian is in the house, looking sharp as always. He's looking good. We got to get a camera on him, dude. Ian's got Ian's got fans, dude. We get we get inquiries. They want to only fans. No, they want, I don't know about only fans. Only Ian's. I don't know, but they, he's got fans. Oh shit. They want to meet him. They want to know him. So <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Ian, man. <laughs> so we appreciate Ian and all the desperate. And we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. I say it every episode. Time is your most valuable asset. You chose to spend some of that with me and, and nephew for real. And we, we are forever grateful for that. Hope you took one thing out of it, maybe two things, whatever, but it, we hope it was worth the time. Uh, so thank you for investing in us. Uh, and until next time, take care of yourself and definitely take care of each other. Thanks so much. Hey guys, although Through Help and Back is an excellent podcast with a lot of great ideas, I do want to let you know that in no way is Through Help and Back expected to be perceived as or relied upon in any way as specific medical advice or mental health advice for you personally. The information provided through Through Help and Back on our website or our podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment that can be provided by your own providers. 
Do not use our content in lieu of professional advice given by qualified medical professionals and do not disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking professional advice because of the information you have read on our website, heard on our podcast, or otherwise received from us. Although we love discussing issues related to healthcare, mental health, and addiction, we are not providing direct healthcare, mental health care, medical, or nutrition therapy services. We're not attempting to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure in any manner whatsoever any physical or psychological ailment, any mental or emotional issue, disease, or condition. We are not giving you specific medical, psychological, or religious advice whatsoever. Please take care of yourself and take care of others as you always seek the advice of your own medical providers and your own mental health providers regarding any questions or concerns you have about your specific health or before implementing any recommendations or suggestions from us. These are ideas that have worked for other people. We think it's important to share them. We do not guarantee that they will work for you specifically. Do not stop taking any medications without speaking to your physician nurse practitioner, physician assistant, mental health provider, or any other healthcare or medical professional. And if you have or suspect that you have a medical or mental health issue, contact your own healthcare provider promptly. Also, one last thing, if you know or suspect that you are currently experiencing a crisis, it is absolutely imperative that you seek the advice of your doctor or other emergency healthcare services prior to ever thinking about using our content. We love the conversations. We're glad you're stopping by. We hope you take a lot from the content. But again, for your specific individual medical situation, please always seek quality personal care from your own providers. Do not let this uh, information or this advice stand on its own. Thanks so much for listening.